Welcome to the CBIA BizCast. I'm your host, Ali Warshavsky, and today on our podcast, we are speaking with Electric Boat President Kevin Graney ahead of our 2021 Economic Summit, where he will be the keynote speaker. That will be virtual on January 21st. Kevin, welcome to the BizCast. Thanks, Ali. Good to join you. Well, as I just mentioned, you are the keynote speaker at our annual Economic Summit and Outlook meeting next week. What will you be sharing with our attendees? Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of what we're going to be sharing is we are on a significant growth trajectory here um, in uh, in Groton and uh, in Quonset Point, Rhode Island. So we're going to talk about that. This is really a once in a generation uh, expansion of our business. And, uh, you know, you think you'd have to go back to probably the late seventies, early eighties, since we, we've been in a situation where we're, we're about building ballistic missile submarines and fast attack submarines. So, uh, what I plan to do next week is talk about, uh, where we're at with our key programs. Uh, we're, we're putting an awful, uh, lot of effort into facility expansion to support that business. And we are hiring we are open for business and looking for recruits to join our team from wherever we can find them. Uh, and, uh, and that's because we've got a great backlog. Today, about $38 billion worth of backlog. And uh, that'll stretch out at least a decade's worth of work. And I think, I think realistically, it's probably at least two decades worth of work ahead of us, which is an unusual position for us to be in. Uh, as electric boats. So uh, we've got a great backlog. We're excited about it. And uh, now it's time to get to work. Yeah, it's something that um, anyone who lives in Connecticut, which is most of our listeners, would be happy to hear, right? Some guaranteed work and, and economic development in our state. Now, you mentioned submarines. Which submarines are under construction at Electric Boat right now? So we've got uh, 12 boats under construction right now, which is quite a few in the program. Um, the first and foremost is, is the Columbia. That's the new program. That's a replacement for the ballistic missile submarines uh, known as the Ohio class. They're going to be retiring here uh, beginning at the end of this decade. And so we're building in the follow-on replacement to that. And uh, they, they represent the backbone of our uh, strategic nuclear deterrent uh, here in the country and carry about 70% of the nation's nuclear arsenal. So this is a great accomplishment for us and arguably the one of the uh, greatest engineering achievements of EB's history. And we've been at this for about 14 years, designing uh, and now building uh, what I think is, uh, is, is just eye-watering technology uh, that we're putting into this, this submarine and something that will be defending our nation well into the 2080s. We've been doing all sorts of things to reduce the risk and make this uh, program execute on schedule. And uh, I think we're, uh, we're, we're on a path right now uh, where we're performing at this point in the construction process well ahead of where we were on the leadership of the Virginia program, which by all standards is a, is a world-class program in and of itself. The Virginia program is, is another program that is uh, uh, still ongoing. We are 25 years into construction of Virginia-class submarines, and uh, they are still, uh, in my view, the ultimate uh, submarine platform in the world. And, and represent about 65% of the, of the work that we're doing at EB today. And just to kind of characterize that a little bit, if you think about where we're going to be at the end of this decade, uh, Columbia will be about 50% of the work that we're doing. Virginia will represent the other 50%. So when you think about that in terms of the expansion of our, uh, of, of our business, we're going to about double in size in just about the next 10 years, which I think for people in Connecticut who understand um, our, our region and our economy, 
uh, is a huge uh, windfall for, uh, for this region. So that program is, is uh, um, uh, continuing on. I just got to ride uh, the 793 boat on sea trials last month. Um, and uh, I'm an old submariner. Uh, the, the boats I rode were 30 years ago. And to mm -hmm. get on board and see the technology in action, and, and more importantly, to see our sailors and our shipbuilders interacting with them at sea is uh, one of the most exciting things that uh, I can imagine doing, one of the greatest job perks um, I can I can also imagine. So uh, we've got uh, a number of ships in what we call Block Four, which is a group of about ten ships. We expect to deliver the second of that group of ten uh, here in the in the next month or so, and then we've got another ten ships that we're building in Block Five after that, and we think we're going to be building Block Six and Block Seven. So we've got Virginia class submarines uh, out about as far as we can imagine right now, and I think that takes us out, you know, over at least the next ten or fifteen years. The other thing we're working on here, which is an important part of our business, is maintenance and modernization. You know, the, the, the boats that are out there are operating at a high tempo right now, but they have to be maintained if we're going to be able to sustain them long term. So maintenance and modernization is something that we work on as well. So we've got USS Hartford in here right now going through an engineering overhaul. Uh, she'll be in here for probably about the next uh, uh, three years or so, uh, doing a lot of significant work uh, on board to get her uh, uh, tuned up and ready to, to continue with her mission. Um, and uh, we've got about roughly 900 people working on that ship at any given time right now to make sure we turn her around and give her back to the fleet just as soon as we can. So if it takes three years, this is just something I'm wondering to um, kind of do maintenance on a ship. How long does it usually take to build them? It's a couple of years. <clears throat> It is. Yeah, it's a long time. Um, we end up taking from an initial construction start on a Virginia class submarine out to uh, delivery right now about six years, which is okay. which is a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. If we think about when we start procuring material for it, um, we actually start with uh, what we call two year advanced procurement money. So two years ahead of actually the construction start. So when you when you're talking about building something as complex as a Virginia class submarine, for example, you're talking about eight years uh, from uh, the initial first dollar being spent on it to the point where we actually get that ship delivered. Wow. And I mean, that must take so many employees. And you mentioned this a little bit ago, but you have many Navy contracts, which require hiring thousands of skilled workers over the next few years. We're struggling with a labor shortage as it is. So how are you going to do that? Yeah, I think that's one of the big uh, things we're working on right now. Um, it's a challenge. And I, I would have told you two years ago, I think in a pre-COVID economy, uh, we've got a world-class pipeline. We still have a world-class pipeline. Um, and, and all we need to do is add the people to that pipeline and we'll, we'll make them shipbuilders. Uh, I think today we're challenged. We've got a labor shortage. Um, we're we're going to struggle to find, I think, applicants. We're looking everywhere we can. Um, we're expanding uh, our focus area from, you know, the immediate area around, you know, Eastern Connecticut, Rhode Island, uh, further and further out. And, you know, you can't watch an NFL football game without seeing a, an electric boat commercial. And, uh, and, uh, and, and that's the way I want it, uh, to let people know that we're open for business. And so I think we're challenged. We're going to be scrapping along with everybody else in Connecticut for uh, limited resources. And I think there's uh, some, some interesting work that we're doing uh, to get people who may not know that they want to be shipbuilders today uh, into our business. And I believe it's one of the most rewarding careers you can choose because you're part of something much, much bigger than yourself. 
uh, and you're part of defending this great nation of ours in, in building ships that are, are going to carry a legacy out now until the 2080s. And, and I can't think of uh, making a more meaningful impact um, in, in someone's life than being able to work on, uh, on, on building these magnificent ships. So we've got a lot of work to do. We're working in the schools, uh, elementary schools and high schools. We're doing a lot of work um, in standing up pipelines in the community college system. And we have had tremendous, tremendous support from uh, our state and local representatives, as well as our federal um, uh, legislators uh, in, in uh, developing the training pipeline that's going to be able to take people who don't know anything about shipbuilding and make them world-class welders and fitters. And I think more importantly, uh, as they enter this business, because we're growing so fast, we've got a great opportunity for promotion uh, and, and getting people into, into management in relatively short order. So uh, we're not just talking about you know, a gig economy type job, we're talking about a career uh, with some incredible growth potential uh, in our business. And so uh, we're hoping that that message gets out. You'll hear a lot about that at the keynote address next week. And um, we're, we're certainly hoping that uh, that'll attract uh, all the talent that, that um, we can use uh, and then some in order to, to, to complete our mission, which is building the world's best submarines. Yeah, talk about career stability, something that's probably not going away, right? Our ships and defense. So something that really could provide you if you wanted to go down that path with a long, long career. And you mentioned uh, talking with community colleges and local colleges. Is the company leveraging in other ways collaborative partnerships to meet the workforce needs? Um, you know, other than in talking with some of the local universities, what other ways? That's a that's a big one for us. And, and uh, so I've been uh, back in southeastern Connecticut now for two years. I I, I was in uh, California for a while for about fourteen years, and and prior to that, I was at EB. And coming back to EB uh, from some time away, um, the thing that I think is is uh, really been kind of a secret weapon for us is the relationship that we've built with, built with the uh, uh, academies and, and uh, universities and community colleges around the area, uh, which I think is, is tremendous. Um, that, that didn't exist as much, at least not as robustly as it does today. And uh, I, I think that's huge for us. So that is a key partnership that, that, we're, um, that we're working with right now and, and looking for all kinds of different ways to, uh, to continue to develop that. Um, and, and really focusing on uh, getting folks um, uh, in, into our programs, giving them that, that viable career path, and, and really looking also at, at helping underemployed or underserved communities join our team. Um, you know, the other thing that we're doing is, is, is uh, uh, quite a bit with our supply chain, and we'll have an opportunity, I think, probably to talk about that at the, uh, at the keynote address and what we're doing to establish key partnerships with our supply chain, um, how we're working with uh, suppliers from the region, certainly uh, locally, uh, across the state uh, and around New England and across the nation um, and collaborating with them and, and, and making sure that they meet our needs on time so we can deliver submarines on schedule. And, you know, you just said you were in California. Um, you're now in Connecticut. What can make Connecticut a better state for business? What have you learned over the past few years um, about what really helps a business grow and continue to gain employees and traction when it comes to the state it's in. Yeah, and I think um, I think that's a, that's a big difference for me from California to Connecticut. You know, in California, the shipyard that uh, I, I was with was um, 
uh, was just a very small part of the overall economy. And of course, you come to Connecticut and electric in Rhode Island and Connecticut um, uh, in, in particular, electric boat is, is such an enormous part of this economy. And, and so we have just overwhelming support from our uh, legislature, state, local, and, and federal, um, that I think uh, really uh, helps us tremendously. Um, and, and so any opportunity that we have to, to foster those relationships with our, with our, uh, with our government uh, counterparts and get that, that help that we need to establish the right funding streams to set up training pipelines, for instance, or to help some of the businesses that support us uh, is, is absolutely key. Uh, to, to our long-term uh, success. And I think we all succeed together. You know, the old saying, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, I think electric boat represents an enormous tide that can benefit the entire economy of Connecticut. So anything we can do to foster those relationships and help those businesses help electric boat, I think is a win-win solution all the way around. Um, and, and I gotta give a shout out to uh, our, our uh, federal representatives you know, Joe Courtney has been just, uh, you know, two sub Joe has just been an, an ace uh, and, and such a value to, uh, to the people of Connecticut. Um, and so uh, he understands our business. Um, I talk to him frequently. We've played golf together. Um, he, he, he might as well be an EB employee because he knows our <laughs> business as, as well as I do. And, uh, and he's just a great asset, uh, as is Dick Blumenthal. And uh, we, we've just had some great representation um, uh, uh, across uh, the, the congressional delegation here in, uh, in New England. And it, it's been uh, overwhelming to me uh, to see that kind of support in this role. That's great to hear, but how is his golf game? <laughs> that was a good stick. He's a good stick. I think, uh, I think give it a day. He could take me out in a heartbeat. No problem there. I hear it gets competitive out there between the legislators and uh, the lawmakers. So, um, you know, you, you talked really highly of what um, our lawmakers have done for, for electric boat, which is great. What policy on the state level has helped or made the most impact on business? Yeah, I think it's those training pipelines we talked about, you know, um, the, uh, the EWIB training program, uh, which has really done a lot to develop uh, um, uh, uh, our, our people uh, coming into the business, uh, getting uh, any opportunity that we can uh, to, to get pre-employment skills up. Uh, and all of that has been tremendously beneficial to us. And, and uh, you know, it, it's important that as we, we've developed these training pipelines, how responsive uh, those, those groups have been to adjusting the curriculum or modifying some things that we find a problem where, hey, maybe the guys coming out of the school or the, or the ladies coming out of the school don't have this particular skill. Honestly, it's a phone call, maybe a short meeting to say, hey, can you do a little bit more like this? And, and in the next cohort, they've adjusted that curriculum and they've modified it to suit. And uh, it provides us with a better product where, where folks coming out are more ready to hit the deck plates running than maybe they were before. And so it's been incredibly responsive. Um, this is a model program, as far as I'm concerned. If we can take what we're doing with the EWIB uh, here in the state um, and, and replicate that over and over again, uh, we're gonna have, uh, I think, a, a great model for how to take uh, unskilled uh, folks who wanna join the shipbuilding uh, business and make them skilled in very, very short order. And, and you know, you'd be surprised, you know, when, when when I look at the yard and I see some of the evolutions we conduct, 
Uh, a lot of times in the past, we've looked at, you know, 30, 35 year guys. So, you know, a lot of gray beards uh, in those roles, conducting that work. Today is very different. We're looking at young people. Some of them don't even have gray hair. Um, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of females uh, in the business. I think mm -hmm. we've done a heck of a job recruiting uh, females. And we're seeing uh, a lot more um, underrepresented populations uh, that traditionally, at least in our business, uh, now represented in electric boat. We, we've done a lot of work to recruit uh, minorities from across the state as well. So you're seeing a lot younger people. They look different than I think the way they've looked traditionally. And I think that's a great asset to, to us. And so we've got um, people demonstrating proficiency and getting some very complex tasks done in building a submarine um, uh, in, in relatively short order. So that time to proficiency uh, has, has really helped through those training pipelines that we talked about. And, uh, and, and so it's really great to see, very refreshing to see how quickly folks are, are, uh, are getting up to speed and, and really beginning to run with the ball. Well, that definitely would help with the labor shortage and issue. And we're also dealing with the supply chain issue worldwide. How has this affected Electric Boat and how have you managed to work around it? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question because um, I think supply chain issues have been, you know, kind of a, a very recent topic for most of the country. Um, we're, we're a little bit different. We're, we build submarines, highly complex um, machines with highly complex components and uh, a very limited supply base across the nation that su su has supported that. And so our supply, uh, supply chain issues have really been in existence for a decade or more. We're expanding our supply base uh, and we're stressing the existing suppliers more than ever before. And so uh, supply chain issues for us are, are not new. We've been dealing in that environment for a long time. So we've done a lot of things to try and, and, and get better at that. Um, we've got a long lead time defense product that we build. We already talked about you know, six or eight years uh, from uh, initial purchase of equipment to the point where we actually deliver in a ship. And so we're doing some things that, that, that maybe make us uh, 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 an expert in this. Um, and, and we'd certainly be happy to share any of that with, uh, with the folks listening or, or, or anybody across Connecticut. But we do a lot with bulk buys and long-term agreements. You know, I think our, our suppliers want certainty and knowing what their business is gonna be like in the coming years so that they can make capital investments and do some of the things that uh, help us uh, ultimately be successful. Um, uh, we, we've got a lot of uh, good lessons um, uh, we've learned with regard to buying, uh, we, we buy a lot of our stuff domestically. And, and because we do that, um, we are not so much impacted by what you might see at Long Beach or uh, some of these other uh, ports of entry across the country where uh, we, we've got ships backed up. So we don't see so much uh, of that. Um, but having said that, we still have our transportation issues and, and uh, we work with uh, our, our state government and many state governments actually to, to get uh, goods and, and, and material transported all the way across the country. So I think our transportation lessons learned uh, have, been, uh, have been significant, especially in, uh, in, in, in a COVID environment. Um, so I think we've got uh, really some, some, some great uh, experience there. Um, and, and I think it's something that we've worked through for, uh, for a long time, leveraging those bulk buys, long-term agreements, and you know, working with our suppliers, particularly in COVID, uh, a lot of that effort has been 
focused on you know frequent contact, a lot of close communication, making sure that we understand where where their workforce is, how that might impact us in terms of delivery of some of those products. So uh, the other thing that we've been doing, even in a COVID environment, is is doing a lot of work with our supply base, sending some of our expertise to them. We've sent teams of welders and fitters uh, really across the country uh, in in a pandemic environment, believe it or not, um, to try and teach. Uh, some of our supply-based folks, um, how to weld better, how to do it more efficiently, and giving them some of the techniques uh, that the world's best welders and fitters that exist here at Electric Boat can contribute across the supply base. So sharing some of our expertise has been uh, uh, absolutely key for us in, in terms of breaking some of these barriers associated with the supply chain. Yeah, you are not the first person that I've talked to that said relationships too with your supplier are so key and keeping them and keeping in contact with them, but just really standing, staying in a good graces with them could help you so much during um, these tougher times. Now, our our team was recently there and they saw a lot of construction activity, Is some of it directly on the water what is going on there? And did you run into any barriers um, with the state or local level to construct the dock? I believe that's what's going there. And did you have any permitting or environmental issues or, or was it kind of smooth sailing for you guys to um, add on to your area there? Yeah. So when, uh, when you guys came and saw us, uh, what we're building right now here in Groton is the South Yard Assembly Building. So that's the facility that we're going to do final assembly and test of Columbia. So it's a big building. It's about 220,000 square feet under roof. Um, and we built a large concrete pad uh, drilling down into the bedrock to be able to support that facility and an entire submarine out of the water um, in, uh, in that building so we can put it all together. Um, that work is, is, is going great. Um, we're on schedule with all of our facility pro, uh, programs right now. Um, and about overall, about $1.8 billion General Dynamics has invested in the facility here in Groton and in our facility up in Quonset Point, Rhode Island. So those projects are, are, are going great. Uh, the, the facilities uh, will be uh, here ready and available to support construction of Columbia when we start to get the piece parts coming in from Newport News and from, uh, from Quonset Point uh, in, the, in the coming uh, really starting this year, but but more so 23 and 24. Uh, so uh, you asked a little bit about uh, some of our challenges. Um, and I would say um, one of the keys for us has been um, when we launch Columbia, um, we're going to do that in a, in a way that's uh, unusual, at least for electric boat. We're going to take what's in the building that we're putting together, that 200,000 square foot building or so, we're going to move the submarine onto what's, a, what's referred to as a floating dry dock. Uh, and that floating dry dock then will detach. It'll enter uh, the channel of the Thames River right here in Groton, and we'll sink that dry dock down in a, in a, in a basin and float the submarine off. So one of the things we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to dredge in the area of, of that, uh, of, of where we're gonna put the dry dock, uh, uh, ballast the dry dock down to float the submarine off. And, and so we've got some dredging that we've gotta go do. Uh, dredging is a big environmental challenge, um, as, as you can imagine, um, but I think we've done, uh, and, and we're going to end up moving about a million cubic yards of sediment from the river bottom um, that will have to go uh, elsewhere. So we have worked very closely, and I, I'll tell you, we've gotten just tr some tremendous support from the state um, in, in terms of all the permitting and everything that we've got to go do with that. 
Um, we, we had some static we had to do with uh, get through with New York. Um, and I think we're coming through that. Um, but from a government entity perspective, I think we've gotten tremendous support. I've talked to the governor specifically about this issue. And of course, our congressional delegation has been uh, first rate in that matter. And uh, uh, while it hasn't been smooth sailing, I think we've got a tracking solution and uh, we're, we're going to find a way to overcome those uh, remaining challenges and, and stay on track to support Columbia. And you, you already touched on my last question um, with that answer, but how have you made more efforts to enact environmentally sustainable practices? You know, you mentioned the dredging and the building. What are you guys doing a little bit differently these days? Yeah, I'm really proud of our environmental record. And, and we, you know, we don't talk about it enough, uh, I think. And, and uh, you know, we, we look at, at being good environmental stewards and good neighbors. And uh, we're spending, as we upgrade some of our equipment here in the shipyard, we're spending uh, uh, the, the extra effort to make sure that what we've got uh, is, is more environmentally friendly than the uh, material or, and equipment that we're replacing. And I'll give you a great example. So here in Groton, we just spent about eight and a half million installing new natural gas boilers. And, and what that, that does for us is it actually reduces our greenhouse gas emissions, uh, in this case, by about 9%, which is a significant change. Uh, and we're committed to reducing, further reducing our, our greenhouse gas emissions by about 40% over the next 15 years or so. And I think that makes a big difference in, uh, in our footprint on the environment. We do a lot of recycling uh, here in Groton. Uh, and what that means is, is we've got less going to the landfill. If you take that and think about how many trucks end up going to the landfill, we've reduced that. So the road traffic is less, the emissions the trucks emit is less. Um, and, and we're reusing about 30 tons of uh, impacted soils that we've dug up to support South Yard and some of the other facilities we're building. We're reusing all of that. So we're not producing uh, excess waste as a result of a $1.8 billion expansion. Um, we've also recycled about 20 tons of garnet blast material. So we do a lot of uh, uh, grit blasting uh, and painting here in the yard. Um, we're doing, we're looking at other industries that can reuse some of that. And we've, uh, we've moved about 20 tons of that to the jewelry industry, believe it or not. And uh, about three and a half tons of oily debris that we've generated uh, over time and use that to go to uh, waste to energy facilities. So I'm proud of what we're doing. I think our employees um, are, are uh, on the forefront of that, helping us do that, uh, keeping, keeping our electricity usage down. And we're going to continue to be good stewards. And, and uh, you know, we've got just a beautiful location here on the Thames River. And uh, it, it couldn't be uh, uh, more important to me. I, I, I love to fish. I love to be outside and in the environment. And uh, uh, making sure that we minimize our impact on that is, is hugely important. Uh, and, and that we, we preserve the, the pristine waterfront that we've got here in Groton. I'm really shocked you like to be near the water, um, being the president <laughs> of Electric Boat and all. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. We could talk to you for a lot longer, but we're lucky that we get to hear more from you next week at our virtual economic summit, January 21st. You can, of course, get a ticket on our website, cbia.com. But Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us ahead of it. All right, Ali, thanks a lot. Uh, pleasure talking to you. And thank you for listening to this week's BizCast. You can listen and subscribe to our podcast on Apple or YouTube. And for more episodes, head over to CBIA.com.